For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Okay. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for coming. Wonderful to see you. Uh, So I wanted to try and do a, hopefully a fun, lighthearted talk tonight. Um, I've I've got the tentative title of this being, Is Being a White Sox Fan a Dharma Gate? (laughs) (laughs) The title for this. Um, David Weiner, I'm really glad you're glad you're here for this. <laughs> um, so, uh, David and I go to a bunch of games together. So I got the inspiration for I think the <clears throat> the I'd say the root of this talk from my dad. For as long as I can remember, uh, talking about baseball has been one of the ways that my dad and I have stayed connected. Um, you know, we've had our ups and downs or rocky periods, but like baseball is kind of, you know, he took me to games at Fenway Park when I was very young. Um, We lived in Boston together. And ever since then, it's been kind of the way that that we can uh, tell each other we love each other without, you know, no matter what's going on in the world or our personal lives or anything. So, he and I are both rooting for losing teams this year. We both moved away from Boston. So uh, he is an Oakland A's fan. Uh, he grew up uh, right outside of where they where they play. Uh, their record this year was 50 wins, 112 losses, 40 games behind first place. So um, rough, real rough. And uh, I am a White Sox fan, uh, and we had 61 wins this season, 101 losses, so we did hit the 100-loss mark there, uh, and we are 26 games behind first place this year. And, uh, you know, this season had a lot of high expectations from the from the, the, the folks in charge of the White Sox, so they're, they're giving us a lot of high expectations. And the season just fell on its face really quickly and kind of stayed that way the whole way through. And I just, like, started complaining a lot, I think. Uh, and, you know, as playfully as I could, but would, you know, be bellyaching about it to whoever would listen to me about it. Um, and about halfway through the season, you know, talking to my dad, I realized that there was a really, I, I really started to like study a really distinct difference in how he and I approach being fans uh, of, of baseball. And that's the, the, the root of this talk. So I don't think this talk is really about the White Sox, the White Sox or baseball specifically. Um, uh, I think I'm using this as a framing device for um, the the fact, the belief that I hold, wherever that is, um, that Dharma gates are in fact everywhere in all aspects of life. And uh, today, you know, today, yesterday was the the uh, last day of the regular season, so today is the you know the, the official moving on point. Uh, I thought it would be a good time to, you know, explore this as a as a Dharma gate. 
And uh, there are some folks who claim that sports don't matter, and I totally agree that they do not have to matter. If they don't matter to you, then that, that it doesn't, you know, we're, you're not missing anything. Um, but I, I think without giving away too much about the talk at the beginning, uh, my conclusion is going to be that you know, being a White Sox fan or being a Cubs fan or an A's fan, that that can matter. Um, and that the reason why is that like anything else that you decide to put some heart and soul into, um, it can teach you how to be a friend, um, being a fan of sports, and it can teach you patience, teach you a whole lot of patience. So, uh, so last night when I was deciding whether or not I was pretty sure this was the talk I was going to give, but I wasn't 100% sure. Uh, and I saw, I was watching uh, Sunday Night Football. It was the Chiefs versus the Jets. I don't have any um, vested interest in either of those two teams. But the Jets ended up losing a very close game, 23-20. to 20, Went down for the last couple of seconds. And as the you know it became a fact that the Jets were going to lose, the camera zoomed in on this Jets fan wearing a shirt that had an acronym for the Jets that said, just endure the suffering. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, wow, that's the most Buddhist thing I've ever seen. And I absolutely now have to take this. This is the sign that this is the talk I have to do. So um, in Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, there's a quote that jumped out to me, you know, as as I was preparing this talk, and it reads, Good or bad, are good and bad, are only in your mind. So we should not say, this is good, or this is bad. Instead of saying bad, you should say, not to do. If you think this is bad, it will create some confusion. So in the realm of pure religion, there is no confusion of time and space, or good or bad. All that we should do is just do something as it comes. Do something. Whatever it is, we should do it, even if it is not doing something. We should, that's funny. Uh, we, should live, we should live in this moment. So when we sit, we concentrate on our breathing, and we become a swinging door. I love that image. We become a swinging door. And we do something we should do, something we must do. This is Zen practice. In this practice, there is no confusion. If you establish this kind of life, you have no confusion whatsoever. So when I read this, I immediately thought of my dad. And I think that what that something close to what, you know, one way of taking what Suzuki Roshi is talking about in that that section is, uh, is talking about how my dad is practicing being an A's fan. Uh, and in fact, he does tell me pretty regularly that he's approaching being an A's fan from a, a as a spiritual discipline. Uh, <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, like, you know, it was looking like they were going to flirt with having the worst record of all time this year. So, um, and it's pretty easy to root for a good team. And I'll, I'll you know, put root good in air quotes. But if you decide to root for a bad team, and to stay positive, uh, something else pretty d- deep opens up. Um, he, and this is pretty striking. Or this is the difference that he has. Um, is that he, you know when I ask him how the how the A's are doing, 
you know, we both know that they're, you know, objectively or they're, they're standings wise going to be finishing at the bottom. But he would say things like, you know, we've won more games than anyone else in the division this week, and I think we're the I think we're the team to look out for. I think we're I think we're pretty dangerous right now. You know, there's a lot of up and comers happening on this team, and it's exciting to see what they're doing. And and I, I that started to really inspire me that this was like he was making a determination to um, to put some effort into gratitude or into uh, finding a positive attitude about, about this. And I think this, this points to something pretty important that life throws a lot at us. There's a lot of discomfort and frustration and fear and pain. There's a lot of suffering to endure like our, our Jets fan. And when you, this is me hyping myself up. When you decide to root for a bad team, uh, and you decide to put some effort into it, into finding some positive, finding the positives. For instance, you know, um, I was at the game with uh, a mutual friend of Amber's and I uh, a couple days ago, uh, last within the last couple of days of the season, and they were losing like 14 to four in the you know seventh inning or something, and. Uh, I, I tried to take this challenge from how my dad looks at it, and I started to think about, okay, well, what can I put together here? So, you know, there's a lot of guys on this field right now that are playing for the Sox for the first time, folks I've never heard of before. And maybe this is the first time they're in the major leagues. What a huge, like, how much of a thrill that must be for them. They've probably been working at this their whole lives. And maybe that's the only time that some of them will play in the major leagues their whole lives. Who knows? Maybe they have two games for the White Sox and then they spend the rest of their career in the minors and then, you know, they never come back to, to the major leagues. What if this is their, I don't know if anyone else has seen Field of Dreams, but um, that Moonlight Graham moment, you know, where you have like, you have a couple days where you're in the major leagues and then you don't know how long that's going to be. And so maybe that, maybe I'm watching that. Maybe that's what's happening right now. So good for them. That's that's wonderful. It's a whole lifetime of work to be to to do what the be where they are right now to like have that shot for the first time. So when I just when you decide to start looking at the game like that, I believe that you're training yourself to be grateful, uh, and I believe that you know you're you're training yourself to not let go. Uh, you're training yourself to let go of the conventional ways we think of good and bad, and. There's no confusion when you have this kind of attitude. When you just let go of, you know, of, of trying to control what's going on, it ends up being, I think it ends up being um, a lot more fulfilling and uh, carefree, which, you know, I'll get, I'll get into why that's important a little bit later on. Um, and when you're maintaining this kind of grateful attitude, when you just, you know, you just keep trucking, and you tend to avoid becoming over-invested or overly critical. You don't presume that everything is going to work out fine. Um, oh, hold on. That's what I want to see here. Oh, okay. So um, we, if you're getting over, overly critical, I think there's there's a way when you're when you're a fan where you start thinking like, well, if they just listen to me, then everything would work out fine. And and I know what the problem is, and you know they just got to do this or that, and then then the problems would be solved. 
And going right back to Zen Mind Beginner's Mind, one of my favorite quotes from the book is, to give your sheep or cow a large, spacious meadow is the way to control them. So it is with people. First, let them do what they want and watch them. This is the best policy. To ignore them is not good. That is the worst policy. The second worst is trying to control them. The best one is to watch them, just to watch them, without trying to control them. So in our case, it's it's going to be, you know, if I'm watching the Sox lose a game, uh, many games, it's going to be pretty hard for me to enjoy the game if there's a specific outcome that I want. The season, the season is never going to go as planned. There's always going to be ups and downs. Uh, there's going to be surprises. And I think a sense of humor and uh, a joyful resiliency will be a really big help in making the game enjoyable. And of course, you know, there's serious parts of life too. You know, they're everywhere. There's, there's bills to pay and relationships to care for and children to raise and elections and colonization and the planet is on fire. All this stuff is happening. But I think figuring out how to live a meaningful life is a lifelong practice. It's a really long walk up that mountain. And, and then it's over. You know, your days in, in the big leagues are done. You don't, you can't plan for it. You don't know when it's going to happen. It just, it just ends usually unexpectedly. And, uh, the great musician Art Blakey said once, jazz washes away the dust of everyday life. It's one of my favorite quotes. And I believe baseball does that too. We need a drink of water, baseball or whatever sport you follow. We, we need a drink of water on the way up the mountain, or else we're probably not going to make it. And baseball and jazz and Italian horror movies from the early 80s <laughs> and Star Trek and playing banjo and playing catch with your dad are all glimpses into the fundamental harmony of the universe. They are sips of water. They are snapshots of human beings being suchness. They are zazen. The Flower Ornament Sutra has a chapter called Purifying Practices. Um, we have a the Flower Ornament Sutra is a um, a long uh, text from who knows when uh, that has lots of very psychedelic visions of different enlightening beings and Buddhist cosmology. And we have been reading it for like three years now and haven't finished it. <laughs> and we, we read it once a month. And uh, so this is chapter 11, this one called Purifying Practices. It's a response given by Manjushri, who's the enlightening being that exemplifies um, wisdom. And when a bodhisattva, another enlightening being, asks him, how enlightened beings can be universal leaders for all sentient beings. Uh, and I thought some of these were applicable to this theme we're exploring tonight. I'm not going to read all of them. It's, you know, things tend to run a little long in, in, the, in the book. But uh, the chapter does give a lot of practical examples of how to approach basically anything that happens in day-to-day -day life as a Dharma gate. And that goes from brushing your teeth, 
to washing your hands, to putting on clothes. Uh, there's, there's like a little verse you can think of when you're doing each of these day-to-day things. And I wanted to highlight a few of these verses that stand out to me as applicable to our, our baseball example here. So uh, I'll just start going. Enlightening beings at home should wish that all beings realize the nature of home is empty and escape its pressures. So I think one of the reasons that resonated for me is I became a White Sox fan when I moved to Chicago to give myself a sense of home here. But, you know, I call myself a Chicagoan. I had a home, and I'm rooting for this team, and I'm a Chicagoan. So realize the nature of home is empty and escape, escape its pressures. While with their spouses and children, they should wish that all beings be impartial toward everyone and forever give up attachment. So how do you have folks in your life that you love while at the same time being impartial toward everyone and forever give up attachment? On festive occasions, they should wish that all beings enjoy themselves with truth and realize amusement's not real. So I just give this image of like, you know, the White Sox winning the World Series. And then in that moment where everybody's partying, having a wish that what if everybody just knew, like, knew the truth about life and was at peace with it? And that was the party, you know. When in gatherings or crowds, they should wish that all beings let go of compounded things and attain total knowledge. And I love that there's a little, I feel like there's a little pun in here, letting go of compounded things. So I think they're making a simile between lots of people being in a gathering or a crowd and then our tendency to uh, um, be attached to uh, things that we stick together and attain total knowledge. What would it mean to attain total knowledge? Seeing a group of people, okay, so we're at the game, there's a group of people, Seeing a group of people, or we're looking at maybe the team, the team on the field, that's a group of people. They should wish that all beings expound the most profound teaching and that all be harmoniously united. So that's a wish that I could have when I'm at the game. It's like seeing a team, seeing the team on the field, and then we are reminded of my wish and why I practice Zen is to work on teamwork. How do we work on teamwork? How does how do we how how does that harmonious unity be brought into realization and into practical day to day life? Seeing happy people, okay, so you know the White Sox just won the World Series. They should wish that all beings always be peaceful and happy, gladly supporting the Buddhas. So in that moment, okay, the White Sox just won the World Series. What if I wished that? What if everything was always peaceful? What if I wish for this, for the peace that I feel in my heart right now? What if I wish for that to happen all the time, everywhere? Seeing people suffer, so that's most people that follow the sports team, they should wish that all beings attain fundamental knowledge and eliminate all misery. Attain fundamental knowledge, eliminate all misery. If they see a park, They should wish that all beings diligently cultivate the practices leading to Buddha's enlightenment. Uh, So, let's see. 
I thought this would be a good point to uh, tell a story about uh, Rev. Anderson. There's a, I think, I think it's becoming a little bit of a legend. I don't know how many times it's been told. Maybe Tigan's the only one that's told the story. But um, there's, thus have I heard that uh, I think back in the 90s, early 90s, I'm going to guess the early 90s if it's the 49ers in the Super Bowl. Uh, so this is happening at San Francisco Zen Center. Uh, the story is that Tension Reb Anderson is watching the Super Bowl with a bunch of other folks at the Zen Center, and everybody's really excited about the 49ers being in the Super Bowl. And, uh, and Reb spends the first half cheering along with everybody else for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl. And then there's the halftime break. And then the second half, he roots just as passionately for the other team to win the Super Bowl in front of everybody. Uh, and there's a lot that I think that that story could mean. But I think what I would highlight here is that I think that, to me, displays this wish that I hear in the Flower Ornament Sutra for universal joy, a really sincere wish for universal joy, not just for the 49ers or whoever they were playing, but for everybody. And I, often when the folks are a fan of one team, there's, and I'm saying this from experience growing up in Boston, there's an encouraged resentment for the, you know, uh, opposing team or rival. You know, I'm a White Sox fan, which means I have to hate the Cubs, or I'm a Red Sox fan, which means I have to hate the Yankees. And, you know, this is all playful, but I also think it mirrors a struggle at the heart of our practice. This struggle of I'm me and you're not me, and thus you're a threat to me. So what happens to the world if we are actually, instead of doing it, like working in that direction, what happens to the world if we are impartial and treat others the way that we would like to be treated? What if I can say, like, wow, your team really performed really well today. That was really incredible when you know, my team lost. Or, uh, you know, how, uh, how, how about, you know, I think we put it, we, there's a couple of things that we did really well in the seventh inning, but uh, ultimately I think your pitcher was the reason that the game went the way it did, and that was really incredible to watch. Like, I can't believe, like, when people give standing ovations to pitchers of the opposing team when they pitch a perfect game. So, you know, this might be a shock for me to declare, I'll say that a little playfully, hopefully, but... Being compassionate to people doesn't negate your own existence. <laughs> and I know this sounds pretty basic, but the amount of resentment that's encouraged in, you know, uh, when you're, you know, uh, a fan of a team, I think is a manifestation of that, that fear. Uh, being compassionate to people doesn't negate your own existence. You can be a Red Sox fan and have a friend who's a Yankees fan. You can be friends with people you disagree with. And this might turn out to be an exceptionally deep and rewarding friendship when you do. And in being upright, Rev. Anderson writes, an effective antidote to our tendency to speak of others' faults is the practice of praising and rejoicing in their virtues. When we see others' virtues, we should speak of them enthusiastically at the earliest appropriate moment, rejoicing in the merits of others' is extremely beneficial in and of itself. 
And a couple pages later he says, The light in all things is revealed through friendly conversation with them. Thus bodhisattvas maintain a dialogue with all things, animate and inanimate, whether inside their own hearts and heads or outside. At every turn they employ speech to discover and affirm the interdependence of all things. So I'm going to start winding up my talk here, at least the part where it's just me in the middle. And as I promised, I'm going to say that learning how to be a friend is is one of the basic meaning makers of life. And baseball or football or hockey is a pretty great vehicle for learning how to be a friend, if you want it to be. That's, that's, That's something you can do. And I also promised to say that it teaches patience. And to that end, I'm going to quote my friend Riley, who I work with. We were talking about sports while we were at work. And he told me something that I hadn't really thought of, but is fundamentally true, that if you're a fan of any team, most of the time you're rooting for a losing team. You're not winning the championship. Most of the time. There's only one every year, and there's usually like 30 to 32 teams so most of the time, you're not winning the championship. If you're going to be following any team, you're not the winner most of the time. So enduring that and, and practicing that, you learn to endure, to stick it out, and to enjoy it, to enjoy sticking it out. And I, I think that that's fundamentally what Zen practice is also about, is learning to enjoy sticking it out. And as an element of the friendship aspect, just as a last note, I really want to tip my hat to uh, David Weiner and Jerry and other folks who uh, we've gone to games together, and it's been a really wonderful time of enjoying quality time. That's the other thing, too, is I miss going to baseball games with my dad, and that, that, that didn't feel like a waste of time when I was doing that. I think that's all I have to say. So uh, I would love to hear what you guys think or questions, and thanks for listening. Uh, David Weiner has his hand up. So I think you're muted, David. I have to unmute myself there. Okay. Uh, I just want to say thank you, Dylan, for uh, a wonderful down-to-earth talk about taking a dharma instead of being some lofty intellectual plane up here, but bringing it to real life. And that, that, that thing that you said about watching the players play, and this might be their only time, their only game they ever play in the majors, you know, and the root for them and be happy for them that they're here playing this game, even if they're losing. And to see them, you know, it's almost like uh, one of the Ramadiharas, you know, sympathetic joy of being with somebody, you know, and happy for them, regardless of what's going on with my team. And I, that was the real, that was, that really struck me. That was a beautiful lesson. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, it reminds me of a time when I was in college and I was playing rugby and um, there's a certain rule in rugby that you can make a fair catch, but until you say the word mark, until you actually say the word, you're 
you can be tackled. And uh, I tackle a guy just as he was saying, mm. <laughs> and uh, he looked up at me and he said, bloody good tackle. <laughs> you know, <man. laughs> he, he didn't, wasn't angry at me. He just he was complimenting. I mean, that's the thing that reminded me when you said that story about watching these guys play in the majors. This might be their only game. This might be their, you know, the pinnacle to be happy for them, to have sympathetic joy and consider all the friends. So a real down to earth, you know, manifestation of the, of the Dharma. So thank you very much, Dylan. Thank you. Thanks, David. Uh, yeah, I don't have a lot to add. I mean, you know, we just, I, I really, I, we spent a lot of time at the, the park together and, um, you know, um, it, it always felt like it was an extension of what we're doing in here too, you know. So thank you for doing that with me. Uh, and the other, I, the other thing I forgot to mention too is that like there's a, and why I was really grateful about going to the games with you is that you, you tell me stories of, you know, Nellie Fox and Minnie Minoso, you know, and it's that mirrors what we do in Zen with talking about the ancestors, like, oh, you should have heard this story of, you know, uh, I don't know, Dogen. He, he tried to, he, you know, the, there was a huge storm when he was trying to go back to Japan and, he, you know, like all that stuff is, is important and connects us through the generations. So you get, you know, that, that was a really big gift of being able to hear about, of hear about all that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I really like the idea of finding happiness in like giving other people credit for what they do. You know, like I'm a Michigan fan and I watched the Ohio State Notre Dame game yeah. last week. And people are like, who are you rooting for? And I was like, a stadium collapse. <laughs> but like, <laughs> like obviously not really, but yeah. it's just, just like, you know, there's, there's such a rivalry between the teams and stuff that, you know, a lot of the time, you know, especially after living in Columbus, there's that like blind sort of group thing where it's like, oh, I won't even, I won't even write out the letter M. I hate Michigan so much. And it just sort of becomes this competition. Yeah. And like, you're, you're totally right. And that's like, it serves no one. It's just kind of dumb. <laughs> but it makes, like, I understand where it comes from. Like, mm-hmm. there's a really strong desire to like have a group identity. And like, mm-hmm. and when you look at a lot of, rivalries it's usually like folks that you're very similar to you know it's like you like when there's there's a really great series on youtube about uh uh football rivalries and i mean that in like the international football mm-hmm. uh and a lot of times it's like cities that are really close together that need to find ways of you know of differentiating themselves and and, and uh, so yeah i understand it but i and but i think i don't know I don't think it solves anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. So. Such a fun talk, Dylan. Um, one thing I was thinking about is this tension because when we actually see how we separate ourselves from others into winners and losers, 
that in and of itself is a very humbling and intense moment. Yeah. Because I think all of us know in our hearts, like, probably not a good idea, you know. But it's part of how we're socialized and the karma that we have. And so I think, you know, it's you can't quite skip and go, oh, okay, I'm just going to be happy for the other team. <laughs> you know, and I want them to be happy that I'm happy for them. And then I get to be like a good sense student, you know. Like, like, like there's this kind of thing of like looking at what's that about, that tendency to want to separate. You know, in Suzuki Roshi, talk about giving this cow, giving the cows a lot of room and watching them. I really thought about that in terms of, like, I, that sticks in my mind a lot. And I think about, like, this is holding a space with the cow, you know, and, and being intimate with the cow and with what the cow brings up for you, wanting to control it, you know. So these are really, you know, it's a very deep talk, so I just want to thank you for that, Dylan. With your, um, your comment about it being easy to root for a winning team, uh, it was funny, it made me think of, when we were at Tassajara this summer, I think it was Alex Bernstein in one of our group chit chats said that it's easy to meditate in heaven. Yeah. Uh, and it's a lot, it's a lot harder to meditate anywhere else. Um, so that, that's just, that's just to say that, you know, these Dharma gates are really where the rubber hits the road. And so I, I try to practice being grateful for all of the opportunities to practice in my life. And that sometimes helps reframe it. Um, because the traditional, I don't know what this is from. The traditional wisdom is that like beings in heaven, uh, it's worse than being on earth because there's no reason to meditate because everything's perfect. So we get the opportunity to practice and they don't. And how great for us. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to just say that. And then your expression about, uh, thinking about those players, if perhaps being their only game and you getting to, to witness that, which statistically is very unlikely, yeah. but could be the case. Yeah. Like I just thought that was such a wonderful expression of beginner's mind. So I, I really appreciated those fresh eyes and that's hard to bring to every situation. Yeah. Um, thank you. I think, I think like, you know, the, your comment about it's easy or referencing that it's easy to root for a winning team makes me think of, for me, the test is the, is, is the Yankees fan. Just cause I was like, well, no, but the reason being that like I grew up in north of Boston and that was, that's a serious cultural force of like growing up there of like, you know, of like serious hatred. And, um, and I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm truly invested in like learning how to become a good friend, which I think, I think I know that I am, I'm really invested in that. Then there, like you're, you're always going to give yourself an opportunity to learn how to become a friend with when you can approach someone who's, you know, on the other, on the other side, on the other team, whatever, and, and find a way to empathize with what's going on with them and, and, or congratulate them or just, 
show the recognition that like you know that it's not just about you. You know, like I, I saw a story earlier this you know this this year about the Yankees you know not making the playoffs this year, and that there's some Yankee fans that are upset. You know that it's been for now 15, 20 years or something since they won the World Series, and they won more than anybody else by a long shot. And you know there's a there's a choice that I can make that's like you know you should shut up like you've got 27 World Series like what do you, what do you have to be sad about? But there's another choice that I can make like this is somebody who's really passionate about this and wants like wants them to do well and like it's it stinks when like you are invested in wanting it to go well and and you expect that bad and it's not happening that way you know uh, and you know. That that makes sense, and I can and I can we can connect about that. You know, so I think the, the root of it of just finding how do I connect, you know, how do I meet someone where they're at, it works in sports, but I think you know it's it's a bigger project too. I was really appreciating um, what Wade was saying about how it's you know it's easy to meditate in heaven. But we are here in the Saha world, what's what, what Buddhist cosmology calls the Saha world, which is the world of endurance. And that's why I really love the just endure the suffering. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and you know, these teams, they, they are completely arbitrary. It's not like one team is based on, you know, this training philosophy and we're going to, you know, we're going to see if this one works better or this one. It's just, yeah. you know, they're just associated with a, with a hometown. And, you know, by the end of the season, half those players are going to be playing for some other team anyway. You know, you see people standing on first base and they, they all know the first baseman or the second baseman because they were, you know, team members. But, but I think there's something to be gained by, having some stake in something that truly is arbitrary because it does tenderize us to that suffering yeah. and when we're suffering it you know maybe we can wish that it would help us to open our hearts for other beings who are suffering for you know whatever reason maybe maybe a better reason um but 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 like like anything like like anything that we practice with, we can't we can't do it 24 seven. It's just it's just too painful, yeah. you know. So we we kind of dip into the suffering and then you know kind of dip ourselves out and you know. So you spend three hours in the suffering and then you know you go and you know do whatever it is that you need to do to kind of metabolize that. But. Uh, but, but it was such a good talk and such a good reminder of, um, you know, the importance of staying with something, whether it's going well, whether it's going poorly. We don't have to, we don't, we don't even have to find ways in which it's going well when it is going poorly. We just accept that it's, that it's going poorly. So, so my acronym for the bears would be, um, Buddhas encourage acceptance of real suffering. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Following, on, actually, following on to what you said, I was sitting here too thinking about how like we create this dichotomy, but at the end of the day, it's completely made up and arbitrary. And on one hand, in order 
maybe two polarities to really define any plane or space. So you have to create a sense of other in order to find a sense of self. But then within that space where you create sort of like this, this seemingly separate, you know, two, two spaces or more, um, multiple teams, um, in that space that we create, which helps us better define who we are and what we identify with, Anytime you meet someone who's other, like you said, meeting someone from another team, and I'm East Coast too, so I understand you know. the, like, it's real strong between any team, but the Yankees and Red Sox especially. I think in that space, not only is the creation of these two places sort of a, an invitation for you to define and meet yourself and meet your tribe and who you are, but then it opens up a constant invitation for the choice of how you treat others in that in that sense of tension or arbitrary separation. So you have the choice to be rude or or aggressive or you know hold that tension and that energy. But then also even though it's completely arbitrary, it opens up the continual choice and avenue to love anything and everyone that comes across your path, even when you don't understand it. So I actually really appreciated where your talk came from, because it's sort of like an everyday thing that I think we don't think about. But for me, at least, it really made me realize, like, we kind of do just make up everything around us. And then making up these, like, spaces around us, we also create spaces to meet ourselves and then choose to love or, you know, how choose how we interact with others. And that choice is what, like, is the essence of of us being here. So I, I appreciate it. Thank you. Everything you offered in there. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry, I hand up. Yeah, uh, Dylan, thank you so much for a really wonderful talk. Um, I have a Zen teacher friend who uh, speaks disdainfully of sports and just thinks it's a waste of time. And I can understand that perspective. However, I confess that I have been a passionate fan of three different teams in my life. Uh, and, you know, I want to speak up for winning. Because all of of those teams that, that, you know, I've been a fan of, most of the time they lose, but they've won sometimes. And actually, I heard that the Cubs actually won a World Series once uh, (laughs) after over 100 years. So anyway, it's, it's, you know, we can enjoy what... We can enjoy when our team does something good or wins a, wins a game or, but also it's really cool to appreciate players from the other team who, who do something cool or good, you know, a good play. So, um, anyway, just to say that. And I think this has been a great talk and a great discussion. And yeah, to think about which side are you on, you know, and how can you be on all sides <laughs> and at the same time take the side that you're on. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, I think I know we're getting close to wrap up time. Oh, Amber. I have just a short thing to say. That is something I thought of that I never thought of before. Um, and this is something, this is kind of a, uh, this concept of interdependence to me is kind of a new concept for me in the past year or two. Um, but thinking of, of winners and losers as being interdependent, the, the, the winners only can win because losers are participating. So, there's <laughs> so, so they're, the like, like ha- having a sense of gratitude for that, that for the game itself, like that there is a game yeah. that can be won and lost, and enjoying the game 
and I, I don't know, it was a new way to look at games for me. Um, yeah. Yeah, totally. Like the enjoying of the game is like, and just enjoying that there is a game is that that's real deep. Um, two really quick things, and I think we probably have to wrap up. Uh, the first, Tiger, you're talking about um, sometimes the teams win. I totally agree. The win that comes after a really finely marinated losing for a long time. Like I remember the 04 Red Sox winning when I was in Boston and that was, that was life, you know, uh, remember that for the rest of my life because people never thought that was ever going to happen. Uh, so that was, that was wonderful. And then, um, about it being arbitrary, uh, uh, yeah. So, so even like, like picking your team, but even when you, like, so I, I joined this fantasy football league at work and got into football as a result of it. And I wanted to pick a football team to root for. And this was a very studied, you know, decision for me that Amber knows. It just took a lot of internal investigation and, 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 you know, rumination. And, you know, I ended up picking the Titans and I was like, well, it's because, you know, I, I love bluegrass there in Nashville and I like their running back, Derek Henry, a lot. He's really like just amazing. Guy and like, I love the way he plays and I love their coach, you know. But everything changes. So even though I like all that stuff about them right now, if I'm really going to be a Titans fan six years from now, none of those things except the fact that they're in Nashville probably will be the same anymore. So then you know, and so even even if you're picking for reasons outside of the arbitrary stuff, then there's the the truth that just we can't hold on to anything. Yeah. 